song to kind of set up what we're about to kick off with this new series is talking about a firm foundation. Man, there is no better foundation to build our life upon than the Word of God. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to be uh, kicking off this series today. We're going to be teaching through the Ten Commandments. And so uh, it's called Instructions Included. And I realize that for many of the men, I probably just turned them off to where they're going to check out, right? So uh, how many of you guys in here have had a project where you were, you know, you had instructions, but you thought, I'm just going to see if I can do it first, and then you check instructions later. Go ahead and raise your hand, guys. Yeah, yeah, just about every man in the room, right? It's what we do. But here's the thing, that doesn't always work out real well. I think y'all figured it out. You end up with a few loose screws or whatever. And, and so it, hey, it happens the same way in life, relationships. God gives us instructions. God gives us directions. And we just think, well, I can figure this out, God. I got this. God, I know, how, I know how to do relationships. God, I know how to do life. I know how to do whatever. And we fail to read instructions. And oftentimes, if we'd have started here, we wouldn't be in the heartache and the hardships that we're in now. And so we, what we've got to do is we've got to be willing to say, you know, God, help me to understand that you have, you know, good intentions. God, that you have good instructions for me and for my home. And so we're going we're gonna to dig into the Ten Commandments. And we're going to take... You know, the, uh, the, the different commandments, and we're going to kind of cover them from week to week. We may get to it one week. It just depends on how the calendar goes, whatever. But we're going we're gonna to dig in these and try to unpack these. And I think for many of us in the room, we might would even say, man, the Ten Commandments seem so old. You know, that's Old Testament. You know, Mike, aren't we a New Testament church? Aren't we, you know, it, it, isn't it more about Jesus now than it is about the law? Here's the thing is we're going to look at it today, but Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. He is the fulfillment of every prophecy. And so he did not abolish it, and we'll see that, but he, he affirmed it. And, and so what happens is we live in a culture and a time, this day and age, to where nobody really understands right from wrong. You know, oftentimes what we do is we, we say, well, you know, that what, may be, might, might, what might be wrong for you doesn't seem wrong for me. Or it's your opinion. And so the, the thing is, is our kids are growing up with no real standard. Nothing to really look at and say, hey, well, this is concrete or this is a solid foundation. And so there's no, there's, there's no mentality about what's right and wrong. It's whatever's right for you, then that's you. Hey, if it suits you, you do whatever you want to do. And that's kind of the mentality in our culture today. But that's not what God teaches. That's not what God's Word says. It says that there are standards and there are guidelines and there are things that we can live by that give us a solid foundation in our marriages, in our relationships, and in our relationship with God. So if you've got your outline, you can kind of follow along. Talking about the Ten Commandments here, where Moses in Exodus 20 receives them. It says, Then God gave the people all these instructions. It says, I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. You must not have any other God but me. You must not make for yourself any idol of any kind or any image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. And you must not bow down to them and worship, and worship them, for I, the Lord your God, I'm a jealous God. Who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected. So your sins affect many. It says even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. But listen to what he says here. We just got through talking about a, a, a loving God. He says, but I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. You must not misuse the name of the Lord your God. The Lord will not let you go unpunished if you misuse his name. Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath, uh, day of rest, uh, is a day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. 
on, the day, on that day, no one in your household may do work, uh, uh, do any work. This includes you, your sons, your daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, and any foreigners living among you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens, the earth, and the sea, and everything in them. But on the seventh day he rested. And this is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. Honor your father and your mother. Then you will live long and full, a long and full life in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. And you must not steal. You must not testify falsely against your, your neighbor. And you must not covet your neighbor's house. You must not covet your neighbor's wife, male or female servant, ox or donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. So those are the Ten Commandments. And it's kind of laid out there. And, uh, and I don't know about you guys, but you know, I can remember growing up, kind of giving my age away, but I can remember in the first and second grade that we had the Ten Commandments on the wall in our school. Any, any guys remember that? Anybody remember having it in your school classroom? That was kind of a big deal. Well, it's nowhere to be seen now, not in a classroom. You know, all that's been taken out. It's been taken out of any kind of government institution. And, and so the thing is, is I can remember the Ten Commandments. I can remember memorizing those and learning those. And so the thing is, is that it's almost, you know, for many of us, our, we think, hey, well, I remember that, but have your kids been taught that? Have we taught our kids? Have we taken the time to teach them right from wrong? Have we given them a standard that they can look and say, you know what, this is truth, this is, this is real? And so too often what we do is we, we hope that somebody else would teach them. It was never this classroom's place to teach us the Ten Commandments anyway. That's not what should be handed off to somebody else or resolved to someone else. That's our responsibility. And here's a great statement by Dr. Adrian Rogers, one of my favorite preachers. He says, The Ten Commandments properly understood are the liberating laws of life. There's some in this room that whenever we read that passage, they're out of Exodus, many of you heard that as rules. And those are rules that, you know, can't break those rules. But what, what Dr. Rogers does a great job of, he says, these are laws that liberate us. You know, the, the first few uh, verses there is talking about our relationship with God. And then the rest of them is talking about the people around us. And so it's really all about relationships. And God gives us a standard. He gives us a, a guide, if you will, to say, hey, listen, man, I will bless you guys and I will honor you guys and I will bless your children. But listen, that generational sin, that's a big deal. Because when we get caught up in sin, we begin to live in sin. Here's the thing. It affects not only me, it affects the people around me. My sin is not my own thing. I think some of us, we think that we'll say, well, nobody knows what I'm doing doesn't matter if they do or not. That sin will affect the people around you. And moms and dads, let me just say this. It will affect your children. Your sins will affect your children. And it says it will carry it on to, for literally generations. And God wants to be a God who breaks that chain. And literally to where you are a blessing to your children for generation, for generation, for generation, for a thousand generations. He shows His unfailing love towards them. But too often what we do is we think, hey, you know what? I'm, this is this is my issue. Nobody really knows about it. Nobody's dealing with it. But the thing is, is your sin affects the people around you. It always will. We often justify our sin, don't we? That's what everybody does in the media, right? You do something that's wrong, then there's a reason for it. They justify it. You know, our kids justify it. You ever catch your kid in, a, in something, they'll justify it. They'll give you a reason why it's okay. And you know where they learn that from? From their mom and dad. We do something wrong, and we begin to justify it. We do something that's wrong, and we want to make sure that, you know what, hey, well, I don't think it was wrong, you know, and we begin to justify our sin or justify our being wrong. And, and so what we've got to be willing to do is look back at the Ten Commandments and realize, you know what, these are guidelines to help us and to protect us. They're not to harm us, but everything in there is to protect us. 
Mom and dad, have you ever told your kids, hey, listen, don't go out there and play in the road? Maybe you didn't love your kids. I told my kids not to play in the road. You know, I, I didn't want them doing that. You know, and, and so the thing is, is there are certain things that we, we do to protect them. And, and we don't want them getting hurt. And so here's the thing. God loves us. He wants to bless us. He wants to encourage us. He wants to pour life into us. And, and so here we see where he's got some guidelines to kind of protect us. There's a statement here that says the enemy's chief weapon is deception. We've been talking about this really the last couple of weeks about how the liar, the father of all lies, Satan, the enemy, the adversary, whatever you want to call him, he, he wants to destroy us. His goal is to deceive us, to destroy us. I mean, that's his job. And so what he does, he feeds us lies. Just like we were talking about last week, you know, he wants you to believe that you're not good enough. You're, you're not smart enough. You are too bad. You've done too many things wrong. You sinned too much. And so he always wants to disqualify you. And too often, we give ear to him and we listen to his lies. And, and we begin to believe what he says. And here's the thing. We start believing what the liar says rather than the truth of God's word. We, we would rather believe a lie sometimes than believe the God who created us, who is truth. Look at what, what it says here. This is Jesus speaking about, the, about the, the, the devil himself, Satan. He says, for you are, the, you are children of your father, the devil, and you love to do evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he, is, he, he has always hated the truth. Because there's no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. And, and so what Jesus is saying, hey, listen, man, he is a liar. That's all he is. And why in the world would we give ear to him? Why would we want to even listen to the lies that he feeds us rather than the truth of God's word? Listen to, listen to what it says here. It says the majority of Bible-believing evangelicals today say there's no such thing as absolute truth. Now listen to what I said. I, I kind of gave a description here. It says, Bible-believing evangelicals. That would be people in this room probably who say, Man, I believe in the Bible. I believe it's the Word of God. I believe, you know, that we should be sharing our faith. We believe that, you know what, that God wants to reach all people with the life-changing message of the gospel. But yet we would say, 62% of them would say that they don't believe in absolute truth. And, and the reason is, is because we want to fit in. We want our kids to fit in, don't we? We, we want to fit in. We don't want to be ostracized. We, want, we don't want to be left out. And, and we don't want our kids, dang sure don't want them getting left out or not being part of the cool crowd or whatever. We want them to fit in. So often what we do is we begin to marginalize truth. And we tell them, hey, listen, it's okay. And, and oftentimes we'll even say, well, that's what everybody else is doing. And we begin to justify the sin. We even will allow our kids to do things that we would have never thought of them doing years ago because we don't want them to be left out. We want them to be accepted. And, and what we often do is we will just literally kind of water it down, muddy it up a little bit. And here's the thing is, those are the Bible-believing evangelicals. Those who believe in evangelizing and sharing the good news and believe that people will die one day and that they will breathe their last, and if they don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you know, you know what? They're going to bust hell wide open. So the 62% of them say they don't believe in absolute truth. And so what is the problem? Because we've bought the lie that, hey, there's no truth. And that's what Satan feeds us. He constantly tries to feed us that. Listen to what James Madison, this is a quote from James Madison, the father of the Constitution. He says, we have staked the whole future of American civilization not on the power of government, far from it. We have staked 
the future of all our political institutions upon the capacity of each and all of us to govern ourselves according to the Ten Commandments of God. That's our founding father. That's the father of the Constitution. Is saying, hey, listen, this is what we have staked it on. It's the truth of God's Word, that we can line up with it, that we will see that the truth of God's Word is more important and more powerful than any government. But yet it has been corrupted, and we live in a culture where we've done everything we can to remove those Ten Commandments. So our founding fathers, man, they're sitting there going, what have they done? And they've drifted off course. They have lost their, their, their mooring or their foundation, if you will. Matthew five seventeen through 18, Jesus states, he says, I have, I, I've come not to, to, uh, to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Let me read that out of 5, 17 and 18. And actually, I'm going to read a couple of verses past that. You don't have this in your notes, but listen to this. So Jesus talking about the law. Because oftentimes what we hear is people say, well, Mike, you know, I'm a, I'm a New Testament guy. I'm a grace guy. Well, you know what? God is a God of grace and truth and order and law. So God is the God of the Bible, right? So that's all of it. But listen to what Jesus said. Don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. In verse 19 it says, So if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's law and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus himself is sitting here saying, hey, listen, I didn't come to do away with that teaching, but if anything, to fulfill it and to build upon that. It's a good foundation. We just got through singing about a solid foundation, God's love. God's love is protecting us. It's looking out for us. It's saying, hey, listen, safeguard your heart, safeguard your life, safeguard your children. And, and, And so when we look back at that, we go, you know what? Man, God is trying to protect us with these Ten Commandments, not not rain us in, not box us in, but to give us that abundant life that Jesus talked about. Look at what it says in John seventeen seventeen. It says, make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. So here's the thing. So Satan, who is the father of all lies, are the truth of God's word. And, and, and so, again, make them holy by your truth. This is Jesus' prayer. You know, we often talk about the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is a model prayer. But John chapter 17 is the prayer of Jesus Christ, praying for you and for me and all who would put our faith in Christ that would come along later. So look at what he says again. Make them holy by your truth, God. He's talking to the Father. He's saying, make them holy by your truth. We just got through singing about a holy God. Teach them your word, which is truth. But yet we have an adversary. We have an enemy who is known as the father of all lies. And so why would, why would the enemy hate truth so much? Because it's God. The truth of God's word. God is the God of truth. Look, at here's Moses preparing the people for the promised land. You know, earlier over here in Exodus, he's, he's there on the, the mountain. And, and God has shown up. And, man, there's all kinds of thunder and lightning. And the people are afraid. And, and they're like, Moses, you know, hey, listen, we, we're afraid of God. Why don't you let God talk to you and you tell us what he says? And so God agrees to that. And so literally, and I don't, how many of you guys remember watching the Ten Commandments growing up with Charlton Heston? Anybody? All right, so the date's a few of us. All right, so y'all remember one of the, my favorite scenes is when God is writing with his very own hand the Ten Commandments on the side of the mountain. It was great special effects in the day, you know, but it's one of those powerful scenes where God is speaking the Ten Commandments and then this, 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 this fire will literally come and burn it into a stone. 
It's one of the coolest scenes in the, in the whole movie. And so here's the thing is the people are afraid. And so Moses has become their spokesperson. And so he goes up and he brings down this teaching, this law. But here Moses is about to allow the, the people are about to go into the promised land. And, and so remember, they had got to the promised land. God was going to send them in. So they sent 12 spies in. And 10 of those spies came back saying, they're too big, man. We're like grasshoppers. They're like giants. But two, Joshua and Caleb said, man, we can take the land. God has given us this land. But instead, they voted, and they ended up wandering around in the desert for 40 years until that whole generation had died off. And then they get back, and so here they're about to go in. Now, Moses is not being allowed to go in because of him making a poor decision, not being obedient to God. So he's not able to go in, but he's given instruction to the people. So Moses preparing, he's giving instruction to the people. He says, these are the commands, decrees, and regulations that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you. You must obey them in the land you are about to enter and occupy. And you and your children and grandchildren must fear the Lord your God as long as you live. If you obey all his decrees and commands, you will enjoy a long life. Listen closely, Israel, and be careful to obey. Then all will go well with you. And you will have many children in the land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, uh, the God of your ancestors promised you. Now, here's the thing. We're going to catch the next verse in a second. But here's what, what Moses is saying. You're to fear the Lord. And I think sometimes in our day and age, in our culture, we want Jesus to just kind of be our buddy, our pal, you know, our, our lab, dog, or whatever it might be. Kind of almost like a pet, you know, kind of a comfort thing. And here's the thing. He is still God. I think sometimes we, we make Jesus and we make God and we make the whole trinity. We, we make it something that's not really that important. And here's the thing. There, there should be a reverent fear of God. There should be a holy fear of God. That we, we fear God. Here's the thing. We know that He is loving. We know that He is a friend to all sinners. We know that He cares about the details of our life. We know that He is a loving Father. But you know what? He is still God. He is still all-powerful, all-knowing. We still have to embrace that and realize, you know what? Man, I don't want to be at odds with the one true God. And, and so here, Moses said, hey, listen, guys. Fear the Lord. Let that healthy fear drive you. There can be a healthy fear. I don't know if you guys remember, but I can remember growing up having some coaches that I feared a little bit. Man, they were great coaches, and I learned more than I ever learned, you know, under those kind of guys. I can remember being in a class one time down in South Alabama. I wasn't even in school there. I was going to a different school, and a buddy of mine, we went over to just kind of hang out with him. He said, man, you ought to go to this class. This, this professor is crazy. And, uh, and, they were, and they were like, what are you talking about? He said, man, whenever he comes in, he just goes off on everybody. And if you show up late, he'll lock the door. You won't even be able to get in. And I'm like, man, I want to go see that. So anyway, we go in there. I'm not a student there. And I'm sitting in the classroom, and all of a sudden he comes in, bam, slams the door. You know, and, and, and I'm like, boop, you know, big-eyed, and everybody's like. And anyway, he's just kind of going off. This guy comes up, knocks on the door. He walks in. He goes, what do you want? And it was a guy, it was ROTC, and he starts telling He said, get out of here. Slams the door. So I'm freaking out, man. This is, a, this is a U.S. government class. And so I'm sitting there, you know, and then all of a sudden he starts asking questions. He starts writing on the board. And they said, hey, listen, if he asked a question, just look down. And so every time he'd ask a question, I'd look down, you know. And then some, he, was getting, he starts doing roll. He starts looking around, counting people. He goes, some of you have been gone most of the semester. You've been laying out at the beach. You've been doing whatever. And you think you're going to show up past my class? Well, that ain't going to happen. Well, he kind of starts teaching. And let me tell you, I learned more that day than I learned in any other class in college, I think. Because I was thinking, if he asks anything, I want to have an answer. And every time he would look, he would ask a question, I'd look down. I was trying to follow, follow protocol, you know. 
But that guy was crazy. I was sweating. I can remember sweat just dripping down on the inside of my shirt because I think, man, if he calls my name. But there was a fear of this guy. But I was learning. I was listening. I was dialed in like never before. It wasn't one of these where you just kind of lay back and like, yeah, whatever. I mean, you were like, I don't want to be embarrassed, dressed down or whatever. I, it was a little bit of fear there. And so the, 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 what, what Moses is saying, hey, listen, fear the Lord. You know, and this is a healthy fear, not crazy fear like that guy. And so the, here's, a, here's this next verse here that we're fixing to read. It's called the Great Shema. And, and, and so it is a Hebrew word that means hear or listen. And Hebrew people, or if you will, uh, the Israelites, and many of them, will, even to this day, multiple times in a day, they'll read this next verse that we're going to read. And, and so here's the thing. It's about listen. So hear, listen, Israel. Hear, listen. And, and God wants us to listen and obey. That's, that's the whole thing. He's wanting us to listen to his word. So listen. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. Listen, O Israel. And that's where the word comes from. The word is from that right there. Hear or listen, O Israel. The Lord is our God. The Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all your strength. What's that sound like? Sounds like the great commandment that Jesus talked about, right? So love you with everything that's in you. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road and when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders and write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. We just covered that verse a few weeks ago with the parents whenever we did parent-child dedication. And I don't know if you guys remember, but we said, hey, listen, parents, this is more about you than it is about your child. That child is not making a profession of faith today, but what you are saying is that you will teach them God's Word, that one day they will understand and one day they'll put their faith in Christ for salvation. So that whole dedication is more about the parent than it is about the child. That child will hopefully hear the gospel in his own home. That child will hear the teaching of God's Word in his own home. And those parents will live in such a way that those kids will be like, I want to know the love that my dad has for God. I want to know the love that my mom has for God. And and so... We read that verse, and so again, you know, Moses is saying, listen, hear this, Israel. And he's he's saying, listen, guys, listen to me. This is important. And then look what he says. He says, love the Lord. The Lord is our God, the Lord alone. So what he's saying, man, you know what? There's one God. There's one God. And so the great revelation is this. There's one Lord, one God. And I think too often in our lives, man, we have many gods, and what he's saying to these people, they've been around this pagan teaching, and man, there's all kinds of, you know, uh, all kinds of gods, little gods, little idols, all this kind of stuff. And he said, hey, listen, guys, remember this, there's one God, the one true God. And I, I think in our culture today, we've got many gods. There's a lot of times whenever we see parents that, man, they worship their kid more than they worship the God who created the child. We have people that worship hobbies and worship athletes and worship sports and we worship cars and we worship houses and we worship money. And so we have all these idols in our life. And, and so what, what Moses is saying, hey, listen, let you, let, you know, let, listen, hear me. There's one God. There's one God and he is a jealous God. There's one God that wants all of your affection. There's one God that wants your worship. And do not, he said, do not focus on these other little G gods. And I think in our culture, we just say, you know what? That's what everybody else does. So whenever, whenever we sing a song like we were singing a while ago, do you worship in truth and in spirit? Remember, it's truth. God is truth. Do we worship with passion? Do we worship the God, the one true God of the universe? Do we worship, or are we just kind of going through the motions? 
I can remember before I got saved, you know, I would go through the motions. I can remember reading and, you know, standing there singing songs out of a hymnal and kind of trying to keep up with the stanzas and, and, and trying to figure out what the heck those words mean and stuff like that. But, you know, I was just kind of going through the motions. And here's the thing. When I got saved, man, my worship was different because my heart was different. See, the Bible says that He gives you a new heart. And he gives you a new name. And I had a new focus. And, man, so worship was different for me. And, and, and so here it's saying, man, you know, focus on this one true God. There's only one God. But let me ask you this. Who is the one true God in your life? Because if Jesus, if He is not first in your life, He's really not the Lord of your life. If he's just kind of somewhere in the top 10, top 25, he's not the Lord of your life. You may say, well, he's my Lord and Savior. He may be your Savior, but he may not be your Lord. And so the thing is, is if we just kind of put him in the top 10, top 25, and we just kind of, you know, kind of pay homage whenever we get an opportunity, or we kind of go through the motions, he's not Lord of your life. But what Moses was saying to the people, there's one God, our Lord. And here's what I love about the whole Loving God here. This next part, look at what it says. It says, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. And so the great response to God's love for us is our love for Him, a sincere love. So one love, that we're to love Him with everything that's in us. You know, I think about whenever we do sing, do we sing Him with a, or do we worship Him with a love that, man, you know, it just comes from the heart. And I don't know about you, man, but... You know, whenever you love something, man, it's a passion that burns in you. It's like you can't hardly get it out enough. Now, I can remember holding my children for the first time. Man, it's just something that burns in you that you go, you know, man, God, I, I just can't even put into words how much I love this child. And here's the thing. God loves you that much. He loves me that much. He loves us so much, man, that he just wants to bless us. He loved you so much that he would take his son. He would send his son here take on human form and he would literally go and he would go through beatings he would go through scourgings that you know were meant for us for our sins and jesus would literally go to a cross and he would he would willingly lay down his life on that cross and as that roman soldier is driving that nail in his hand he's saying father forgive them they don't know what they're doing he's literally paying the price for your sins for every lie that you've told every cheat that you've done whatever it might be Jesus is laying down his life. That's how much God loved us. He is literally pouring out his love through the blood of Christ. And here's the thing. For those of us who have put our faith in what Jesus did on the cross and realized that he purchased my sins, he paid my debt, he purchased me, that man, I realize, you know what? He loved me that much. Shouldn't I love him with my life? I remember watching The Passion of the Christ and as I'm watching the beating and I'm watching the scourging and I'm watching the, you know, the, him toting the cross and, and just the agony that he's going through watching that movie, I can remember it going, how can I not live for him? How can I not love him? That was all, I couldn't even hardly talk. I was speaking into a, to, into a tissue because I was weeping so. But I was going, you know, how can I not love him? How can I not live for him? And, and so here, the great response is, is one love with everything that's in me. You know, we think about how much we love our kids. We're to love God more than that. I think about how much I love my wife. I'm to love God more than I love my wife. If my priorities are in order, it's, it's God is who I love most. My wife is who I love second. My family, my kids are who I love next. And my ministry would come even after that. But God would say, you know what, Mike, I want you to love me with everything that's in you. With all the strength, all the passion, all the, everything that I've got, that I love Him and I live for Him. And, and, and so the response, the great response from the people... Is love God with everything that's in you. Love God and love others. Love God and love people. 
It's what we're taught over and over and over. And so here's the thing is this, when we look at this, this is a powerful teaching. Love the Lord your God, the one God, and, and you must love Him with all your heart, all your strength, all your soul and all your strength. And listen to this, and, it, and you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you. It's got to be wholehearted. You ever done something kind of, kind of, kind of going through the motions? Have you ever done something where you kind of, you were halfway committed? Everybody knows, right? It's like, you know, if you're, if you're fake or you're phony and you're not sincere in something, people know it. Kids pick up on it quicker than adults do. But whenever you're a fake or you're a phony, people tend to look through it and they say, you know, you're plastic, you're, you're not real, you're not genuine. But people ought to be able to see that, you know what, your love is, is sincere, it's authentic. And here's the other thing. For believers, for, for those who have put our, our faith in Christ, our commitment ought to stand firm. Our commitment, we, we, ought to, we ought to be willing to say, you know what, I am wholeheartedly committed to the teaching of God's Word in my home. And so that's the next statement there. The primary setting for the teaching of the Ten Commandments is the home. We talked about it earlier. The primary you know, location for the teaching of God's Word, the teaching of the Ten Commandments, is your home. And so moms and dads, let me just say this. You know, we do a good job of getting our kids, you know, ready for school. We, we do a good job of sending them to a preschool. We do a good job of, you know, getting them whatever they need supply-wise. We do everything we can to prepare them for life. But let me ask you this. Do you teach them God's Word in your home? We do everything we can to help them be successful at baseball or football or softball or volleyball. We do everything we can to get them in the right camps. We will spend money like nobody on the right bats. But do we teach them God's Word in our home? We'll do everything we can to give them the highest ACT score that they can possibly make. But do we teach them the Ten Commandments? We'll do everything we can to help them be successful so that they maybe fit in with everybody else around them or maybe even be a little bit better than the ones around them so that our ego can expand a little bit. But do we teach them God's Word? Do you teach your children the truth of God's Word. Now, I know for the men in the room, just like we don't often like instructions, men oftentimes, we, we don't like instructions, I get that, but we also oftentimes don't like what we have been told to do. We don't like our responsibility, our role. Oftentimes, the men in the room, you'll hear me say, hey, men, you're going to be the spiritual leader of your home. And a lot of guys, men, go like, man, I hate it when he says that. You sit there and you, you begin to make excuses, or sometimes you justify it. You say, my wife knows more about the Bible than I do. It doesn't matter. That's not her role to be the spiritual leader of your home. And so, man, hear what I'm saying. God is calling you to be a spiritual leader, to teach your children God's Word. It's not my job. My job is to invest in you. Everything that we do in here on Sunday morning is just icing on the cake. What your children should be hearing is the Word of God in the homes. Teach, and, and I know some of y'all are probably thinking, all right, we've got to sit down, we've got to have a classroom. Now. No, it, listen to what it said. As you are doing life, as you're getting up, as you're laying down, as you're going about life, you are teaching God's Word. You're looking for opportunities. To share with them what is truth. And so are you, dads, are you leading your families well? And if not, then make that step today. Make that decision today. Say, so you know what? I'm going to start teaching God's Word as I'm going about life, as I'm doing life. And I'm not going to leave that responsibility to my wife. And that's not a male chauvinist statement. That's just a biblical guide that is given to us. And here's the thing. like In Ephesians chapter 5, whenever it talks about spirit-guided, spirit-filled relationships... It says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so there's not one over the other, but the role of the man is to lead the family spiritually. And men, I'm just saying, you need to be the one teaching your children. 
Too often we want to leave that to somebody else. Well, we'll get the teachers up at the church to do that. Or we'll get, you know, I'll get my wife to do that. She knows more about the Bible. Now, here's the thing. You need to be willing to say, hey, look, God, teach me so I can teach them. God, help me. We, we're, we've got a mentoring thing that we're doing right now called, called Forge for Men. And you can gather with some other men. They can pour into you and they can teach you how to lead your family. But don't make excuses. And here's the thing. Don't justify where you are. But be willing to say, you know what? It's time for change. It's time for change. This next statement says, the fatherless, fatherlessness is the most harmful demographic of our generation. It's the most harmful demographic of our generation. Pastor Dwayne Rembert, who was speaking a few weeks ago, talked about growing up in a home where his dad was absent. His mom was on the streets. And his uncles were all alcoholics. No male role model. Broke my heart when I heard him say that he would stand next to me and hoping they would ask how he's doing. And so I'm just saying, that demographic, you know, it's one of those things that too often these young kids are growing up, and it's not just boys, it's girls too, but they're growing up without a male influence, a godly male influence. And, and I'm just telling you, our, our, our generation needs men to step up and to be leaders. And we can blame everything else. We can blame our, our, you know, our government. We can blame the media. But it's our responsibility to make a difference and a change in our home. And we begin to say, you know what, I'm going to teach the Word of God. And I want to be a godly man. I want to be a godly husband. I want to be a godly dad. And so we begin to live those things out. But we teach them. And one, of the, one of the things that we often see is these young kids grow up with no sense of what is right or wrong. So they do whatever comes to mind. Whatever feels good or what everybody else is doing. And then we wonder, what is wrong with them? No one's teaching them. It's not the children's fault. It's the parents' fault. You, say, you might say, well, you know, my parents didn't teach me. It started there then. Remember, it says it goes on for generation to generation. But you can be the bondage breaker. You can be the one to say, you know what? Hey, no longer is it going to be that way in my home. My dad may not have been teaching that. My grandfather may not have been teaching that. But you know what? I'm going to teach God's Word. I'm going to be the one that's going to break that chain. And I'm going to become a blessing to a thousand generations. No longer will I stay under that bondage of generational sin but I'm going to be set free from that, and I'm going to be a difference maker that will become a blessing to my family, not a curse. And so the fatherlessness is the most harmful demographic of our generation. Jesus, he commented on the same things that we see that Moses says here. This is a great commandment. Jesus replied, they were asking, hey, what's the greatest commandment? The most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And the second is equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. So Jesus made it clear, hey, I'm the fulfillment of the Old Testament. We're not doing away with the Ten Commandments. We're not doing away with the law. If anything, man, we're going we're gonna to build on that. We're going to build on that foundation. And he said, hey, listen, we've got to love God with everything that's in us. And so let me ask you, do the people around you know who you love? Do they know who you're in love with? You know, I, I can remember back whenever Laurie and I were, were dating. She was, went over to Zimbabwe, Africa. She was serving as a nurse over there in, at a hospital in Sinyati. And, and, and she, she would write letters. And she would write those letters. And, and man, I would get those. And it was a letter that was actually made out of a piece of paper that folded into an envelope. And I would get those letters and I would read over those letters because I, I was in love with this girl. And, and the more that I would read, and so what I would do is, I, there was often times whenever she would write something about me, and I'd read that a couple of times, you know. I was like, man, yeah, she's all right. 
But here's the thing is those were love letters that she was writing. I mean, I, I, and I want every man in the room to understand, this is God's love letter to you. Every man in this room, God, this is God's love letter to you. He loves you. And let me tell you, he says some great things about you in there. And here's the thing, he trusts you to lead your home. He trusts you to be a defender. He trusts you to be a teacher. And so whenever we realize that someone loves us, why would we not want to read what he has to say about us? Why would we not want to be in his word? Understand that he trusts us. He loves us. And, and so whenever we read this, this love letter, man, it changes things. Look at what, it, what Jesus says here in Matthew 15, 8 through 9. He says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce. For they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. And so what, what he's saying, he's talking to some religious people. They were pretty religious. But he said, listen, man, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Are you one of those who, you said, man, I'm a Christian, but man, your heart is far from Christ? Your heart is focused on someone else? Your worship is on something else? Maybe it's on stuff or things or, or maybe it's a career? You know, the thing is, is what Jesus is saying, hey, listen, man, their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a joke. Their worship is a joke. And what he's saying, hey, listen, man, it should be that whenever we're entering into the presence of God, we come together as the body of Christ and we're worshiping, man, we should give him our very best, not our leftovers. That we should worship him in such a way that, man, God sees our heart and he says, that's not a farce, that is genuine, that is authentic, that is love, that is affection. And so whenever God looks into our heart and he looks into our mind, he knows everything. He's pleased and he smiles. Because he is a jealous God. And he wants us to worship him. Look at these next steps. You know, I don't know what the step might be for you. These are just some that I put down. Next step for me today might be to listen and obey. To listen to God's word. To listen to God's word and obey God's word. To listen to God's word and obey God's word as the standard for my life. And no longer let the standard be set by the world, by the media, by, the, by whatever, by my friends, but by the truth of God's word. And that that will be my standard. It won't be anything that kind of comes and goes, but it'll be something that will last forever. Two things last forever. The souls of men in a place called heaven or a place called hell and the word of God. So I think when we build on a solid foundation like God's word, we're building on something that will last. And so we, we read God's word. We listen to it and obey. I want to challenge you. You know, many of us don't have the Ten Commandments anymore in our homes. We don't have them in our schools. We don't have them in our workplace. Next week, we're going to give you a copy of one. Hopefully, it'll be nice enough that maybe something you want to frame and put it in your home. And I hope that one day, you'll walk up to it and say, hey, listen, let's talk about this commandment today. Let's talk about this truth today with your kids. Just a teaching resource. But maybe it's a reminder for you to, you know, to honor God in this area of your life or to worship Him in truth and in spirit. And so we want to give you that. You'll get that next week. But I want to challenge you this week to maybe read, read the Ten Commandments. Maybe every day this week, we as a church, we just read the Ten Commandments. And we say, God, I want you to speak to me. God, I want to listen and obey. Just read them. Sometimes we just need to be reminded what they say. God, I want you to take this foundation. God, I want you to teach me this week. And so maybe you listen and obey each day as you read it. And here's the, here's the second one. To eliminate any idols in my life. Maybe, maybe you say, you know what, God... I realize there's other things that are more important to you right now in my life, and I know that's wrong. God, I want to confess that to your sin. And God, I want to eliminate some of the idols in my life. You might say, well, Mike, a while ago you said that sometimes we worship our kids. What are you saying? I'm just saying that they don't need to be in first place. They need to be in proper order. 
God, you're first. You're first. You're the one true God. And so maybe there's some things this week that you guys need to say, you know what? You know, God, how do I know if it's an idol or not? Usually you can tell by two books, your date book and checkbook. In other words, how you keep up with your calendar, how, what you spend your time on, that can become a God in your life. What you spend your money on, that can become a God in your life. And so you look at those two things, you say, God, show me if there's any kind of idol in my life. I want to I wanna lay it down. God, I want to lay it down, kick it aside. God, I want to focus on you. And then the last one is this, to begin teaching my children God's Word. If you're a mom, if you're a dad, there may be some single-parent moms in here. And you've heard me talk about the role of the men. You say, well, you know, I don't have that person in my life. Then God says that you're the teacher. And I promise you, He'll give you what you need. Think about that. He trusts us to teach His truth. He, t- he trusts us to impact and to affect generations after generations of people, children, so we can become the blessing in their life instead of the curse. There may be some of you in this room today that you've never put your faith in Christ. You know, whenever we surrender to Jesus as leader, as Lord, oftentimes we say, you know, He's my Savior, but is He your Lord? And so maybe today, fresh and new, maybe there's some of you in this room today that you've heard, you know what, that Jesus purchased my life. He's paid for my sins, and, and you, want to, you want to be a part of the family of God. And it's only by faith that we're saved. It's not by works. It's not by following the letter of the law. Jesus, you know, we're told that the law reveals that we could not measure up, that we needed a Savior. That we needed Jesus. We couldn't follow all this and, and do everything right. And so it reveals that we are broken and we are in need of a Savior. And so when Jesus came, He came to fulfill the law and fulfill its purpose. But also to purchase you and to make you part of His family. And the only way that we do that is by putting our faith in Jesus. I want to ask you just to bow your heads and close your eyes. And, and maybe that's you. You say, Mike, man, I want to be saved. Mike, I want to be a part of God's family. I want to be a part of the church. God, I want to be a part of what God is doing. So how do I do it? It's as simple as this. It's when Jesus, with all the faith that I have in me, Jesus, with all the faith that I have in me, I believe in you. I believe that you are the Savior of the world. Jesus, I believe that you can save me. I believe that you can change me. I believe that you can come into my life and turn it around. And so, Jesus, with all the faith that I have, I put my faith in you for salvation. I'm asking you to save me change me. I want to confess the sins that I've been living under and living in. God, I confess that sin to you. And and, and Jesus, I want to ask you, if you will, to come into my life and to change me and to teach me how to live for you. That's repentance. If you just prayed that prayer, the Bible says you're saved. And then it encourages us to confess that. We 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 want to share that moment of celebration with you. There's a, there's a room back here in the back. There's a Bible that we give away to anybody that puts their faith in Christ. We want to put that Bible in hand because it, talks, it walks you through some of the cornerstones and lays a good foundation for your life. It's got the Ten Commandments in it. It's got all the teaching of God's Word. There's many of us in this room that we know the Ten Commandments are important. We know God's Word is important. But man, we have been adrift. Maybe today, maybe today we just say, you know what, God? Fresh and new, I commit to live for you, and I commit to teach your word in my home. Father, I thank you for loving us. I thank you for saving us. I thank you for teaching us. God, I thank you for at times rebuking us. So God, I pray that today, God, there would be change in the hearts of your people. 
God, I pray that we would be a people who worship you in truth and in spirit. And God, that we would love you with everything that's in us, every ounce of our fiber. God, that you would literally use us for your purposes and for your kingdom. God, thank you for trusting us. Thank you for using us. Thank you for saving us. In Jesus' name.